Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by a co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, it's slightly different and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joe will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you can let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Problem setters or problem solvers. Which way do we go, man? It's an interesting one, and uh, apologies for any background noise. I'm I'm taking the kids out today, so I've got the I got the bambinos with me as I'm driving. <laughs> so uh, for me, I mean, it's it's interesting because it's how you interpret the message, right? You know, for me, I think we've got to find that balance between making sure that we're not solving all the problems for the players and actually designing opportunities and experiences where they can make sense of the world, make sense of the environment and, and solve their own problems. You know, um, I think a, a big part of being a coach is how well we design and, and pose questions to players, give them problems to solve versus answers. Um, but we want to make sure that we find that balance between, you know, creating opportunities where they can discover and exploit while an experiment, I think these are key words, whilst also find that balance and, and making sure that we're not always giving them the answer, which I think a lot of coaching looks like, you know, because often coaches, are, are they want that priority of wanting to, you know, say to people, hey, this is what you do in this situation or whatever it may be, because they want to short circuit that decision-making process to, to avoid mistakes, when actually it's probably more advantageous to, to set really good problems for people, um, pose them really good challenges, and let them discover it on their own. I'd be interested to see how you know what your thoughts are on that and how you've interpreted it as well. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot in there already. I think for me, <clears throat> more specifically, is looking at you know we always talk about problems, problem solvers, but um, I think you know the term in itself suggests that it's quite reactive rather than proactive. For me, the problem set of piece is probably you know something to really kind of delve deep into and really understand how do we get players to actually become better at you know observing and analysing the game in game, um, you know what how how close how how much close attention are they paying to the opposition and what the opposition are doing, how much how they've set up, and then potentially you know can they come up with a, a, a essentially yeah can they set a problem before they have to end up deal, dealing with one if that makes sense. So, I mean, those are some of the basic kind of thoughts I had initially. But it'll be interesting to maybe get your perspective and just build, build out a little bit more about what you said there because I think quite often it's that challenge for coaches of recognising the short-term gain of obviously making decisions for players, but actually the, the long-term pain that might be caused by it in terms of the detriment and the reliance that then players have on the coaches themselves. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, isn't it? Is that you know, for coaches who are constantly giving the answers to to players, or even asking a question, but they're already hinting at what the right answer may be, what the true answer is, if there is even one. The danger with that becomes that when the players are faced with a problem, this problem be the the key word here in this discussion. When they're faced with a problem that the game presents them that they've never seen before. Who do they look to for the answer? They're immediately going to look at the coach at the bench. And what if the coach doesn't have the answer themselves either? And it's it's dangerous because we develop that coach reliance, right? Whereas 
you know, we 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 want to make sure that uh, we're creating an environment where players can adapt skillfully, adapt skillfully, recognize moments in the game, and and you use that phrase really well, that in-game ability. We've got to develop that better. You know, their their uh, apologies, little babe, two-year-old, um, their game responsiveness. And I think that's where we've got to be really skillful in how do we design problems for players, you know, and, and are we setting the right problems for them based on their journey? Because, you know, another topic could be that often we're, we're looking at the player, but how well are we planning for, for that future player and their individual needs? So based on their, their learning, so how well are we setting problems for them to go away and solve or designing problems for them? And is the problem too big? You know, because the game itself, you know, to quote a phrase from Benga, is a, is a billion-plus problems. We know that. The game's constantly promoting a lot of choices for, for players to have to make. So whenever we're trying to attune to a particular moment in the game or a scenario linked to helping them to become better wrestling with that and being skillful at a certain action, whatever it may be, are we designing that problem in such a way where it's it's manageable for the player to achieve and, and consolidate that learning and grow further? Because I think sometimes we set them too many challenges at once or another danger is we've given them a problem to solve, but it's too big a problem, it's too difficult or it's too complex. So, I mean, that's something that I think we've got to think about is how do you manage that performance gap that gap between where their ability is now and how we can get them to, to achieve that future growth and potential. How do we, you know, uh, reduce that gap between where we want them to be and where we want them to go or where they want to go with their, with their learning journey? Yeah, I think two major things that pop out for me as you're speaking is, one, um, could we be in danger of assuming that the problem we've identified for the player, the problem that we're trying to set for the player is actually a problem for them? How much, how much time has been taken to actually understand whether they actually even see that as a problem in the first case, the first place? Um, well, actually, even before that, have they identified it? And if they've chosen not to respond to it, is it because they don't actually see it as a challenge or a problem for themselves in the first place? And I think that's a really key piece as well. And then, you know, the second the second thing that gets gets me thinking on is, you know, it's probably it's probably really a, a topic that we can unpack later on in a future, a future time, but I think something worth mentioning is what place does maybe off-field coaching have in this scenario in terms of helping the players understand some of the problems they may be dealing with? What do you mean by off-field coaching? Could you yeah. clarify? Like what not just relying that? on training sessions alone, as in on the grass necessarily. Do we do, 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 do? Should we spend more time away from the pitch sometimes? Maybe sitting in the classroom, maybe going through some other, you know, using other resources and other ways of um, kind of exposing some of the stuff that we want to kind of cover and unpack within the sessions and the games themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a valid point, isn't it? And how, how do you find that balance? I mean, obviously, the best learning, or the, the arguably the, the, the real learning takes place on the pitch because ultimately that's what we play the game on, isn't it? But, you know, there is advantages, there's, there's advantages to using... Even little things like Pro Evo, I noticed the other day, you know, Academy being really clever in how they use like FIFA and things like that, but to give the players challenges linked to what they were working on in their curriculum and they could see it through a video game. And then you, you've you got the obvious one, as you probably alluded to, in the classroom where you're showing them video clips or you're going through certain scenarios, you're getting them to discuss it or identify it. I mean, if we're doing that, how much can we show them their game? Because... You know, again, and I've been guilty of this, where we show them so many good clips or what we think are good clips from the Premier League or the World Cup, but we're working with under-12s, for example, or under-19s or whatever. What about games at their level and at their age? You know, just to give it that relevance and, and they can see it, they can perhaps see their own game in, the, in players of a similar age to them. And Yeah, I think it's, a, it's all a value, isn't it, Yaz? Um, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Is that how do we make sure that not only we're, we're sort of designing the, the the right level of challenge, but how can we co-design that with the players? So who's becoming the problem setter and problem solver here? 
we don't want it to be both the coach. Actually, can we create a way where we're co-designing with the players so we're involving them? So we're not just telling them what to do or what to think, but actually we're pulling from them the answers and, and you know, actually thinking about what did they see, as you said, you know, how they interpreted it, the problem or whatever it may be, and get some answers from the players and, and co-design with them, you know, what that challenge may look like. Because that way we're going to develop better better players. You know, we're fortunate that on our rosters now, squads, we've got, I stole this phrase from someone recently, you know, he said about how he's got like 11 analysts on the team. And I was thinking, yeah, but he's not wrong. You know, the players are the analysts. You know, they're looking at the game and they're able to analyse and dissect problems and, and create game solutions to it. You know, they're becoming more intelligent now than ever before. And they're certainly seeing a lot more of the game, you know, on TV and other things. So how do we tap into that, you know, to to foster that love for the game, but also create, you know, inspirational opportunities where you're inspiring their curiosity, right? A hundred percent. And I, you know, I was going to lead into that, the whole code design piece. And it's not just like code designing <coughs> in terms of the problems that they're identifying, but also is there, you know, it, I think I think a great tool and something that I'm trying out at the moment with, with players. I'm you know I'm yet to see what the outcomes are, but actually getting the players to then identify those problems and support me and work with me collaboratively to actually design practices to then I you know overcome those problems essentially and identify within that. I think this is where scenario based sessions come into it a lot as well and recognizing that sometimes we can set a scenario. We don't have to tell them what the scenario is. I think we might be working with one team and, and then set a scenario for the other team in terms of the, how we want them to play, the shape that we want them to, them to pick up and start to unpack it with some of the players around, right, what have you observed about the opposition? Um, and see who's who's actually thinking, who's not thinking. Because, like, again, the, I think that's a great way to look at it. 11 analysts on the pitch, you know, plus the coach on the side, recognising that actually we've all got different perspectives and we might have different opinions on what that looks like. And something I use a lot in my team talks especially during the breaks at half time or if it's quarters around getting the players to do basically just that what have you observed what can you see as as a potential challenge in this scenario against the opposition what you know what what can, what can you identify as potential solutions or problems that we can set for the opposition based on what we've observed already um again without responding necessarily directly to what the opposition's doing but actually recognizing what the opposition's doing and causing them an issue rather than dealing with the issues that they're putting in front of us, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. I'm curious to see what everyone else thinks, you know, in the group. Got a lot of people listening. If Any thoughts on what's been discussed so far and maybe even how you guys are viewing the, the question or the sort of topic as, we, as we've posed it? I think just while we're waiting for anyone to jump in here, Gerard, I think you might be, you know, just maybe sharing your own um, insights around any of the interesting problems that you've had maybe in the past where you've had conversations with players and they've identified something that maybe you not have, you might not have picked up on yourself. Yeah, well, I, th- I think the obvious one is, you know, when you do a coaching intervention, if you like, or a teaching moment, and, you you know, we often want to prescribe our answer to the player. But actually, you know, and I've, I've learned this from years ago, and I'm, I'm, I'm more curious now of, well, what did they see first? So how can we tap into the perception of the player versus... Because they might have seen something different to what we've seen or what we felt. And bear in mind, they may actually have a better interpretation or understanding of what happened and, and certainly what a better idea was, a better solution than what we're proposing. Um, and I think more often than not, that's often the case, you know, versus us always coming with the answer. So I think that's a, a huge part to, to talk about. I think the other one is just having that self-awareness, you know, that who do we want to be able to solve problems? Yes, the coach has to be able to understand the game and, and you know, be in control, I guess, in some cases. But ultimately... The game belongs to the players. You know, we're not playing the game. The minute they cross that line and the the game starts, they've got to be able to pose questions to the opposition based on their actions and their movements and, and what they do with and without the ball. And they've got to be able to to pose problems and, and solve problems, haven't they? So 
we've got to make sure that we, you know, as I said before, the game belongs to the players. We're giving the game to them. Um, it doesn't mean, you know, some coaches the same thing. Well, does that mean you just give them full control and, you know, they just figure it out? Um, and that's not the case either. I think what we've got to do is make sure that we're designing stuff with them. Sometimes you might have to pose it yourself. But in doing so, you're always checking for understanding because it's no good us setting a problem to solve and the kids don't have a clue what we're talking about. Oh, it's just too much room to think about. I think that's a huge piece, you know, before we open up to think about it is actually when we're posing a a problem, uh, setting a challenge, whatever it may be, linked to the player, do they understand, like check for that understanding? Because you know their interpretation of it is going to be. Key. I, I think you're spot on there. I think it's one of the things I'm massive on in terms of my own coaching, and even the even the messages that I share with coaches that I work with around that clarity of understanding of what the players' perceptions are. So, I'm, you know, from your perspective, obviously you know you've worked across different continents with you know, coaches from all over the world, really. But what are, what are some of the kind of best practices that you kind of you know support or encourage coaches to think about in terms of? getting those messages out there and really getting that clarity and checking for that understanding. Because I think it's one thing for coaches to rely on the fact that players are able to demonstrate something. But actually, even in the demonstration piece, especially in, in sessions, in games, where we haven't actually followed up on it, sometimes the players, don't even, they're not fully aware that they're actually performing certain actions or certain behaviours, um, certainly not conscious of it all the time. So, you know, what, what are some of the things that you maybe encourage coaches to think about in terms of how to clarify that understanding? Well, I think a big one is just getting them to verbalise what have you discussed. So versus always saying, like, does that make sense? Or asking a question where it's a clear, closed answer. And it's a yes and a no, or you just get a nod. To me, that doesn't always clarify understanding. We're assuming they know. Of course, they're not going to always say, you know, no, I don't understand that. They're going to nod along. Um, Because in their mind, they're probably just saying, yeah, they just want to play. Or some might actually think they understand, but they don't. So for me, I, I think a huge challenge, and this is something to think about, it might explode people's heads a little bit, but how can we ensure that in every interaction we have the player speaking first and last, or at least speaking the most? And the first bit always throws people off because they always think, how can you get a player to speak first? And the obvious one there is that they're coming to us so they're coming to us with the questions. If there's a moment in the practice where they feel like they don't know, they can pause the session. So the players control the pauses, I think, is a huge one. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. And then um, just, again, like asking questions where you're asking, like, what did you see? What did you feel? Um, I mean, you've done stuff similar to me before where you've you know, you stopped in the moment, closed your eyes to what you saw. You get them to reflect. You know, other moments might be where you're doing a, a walkthrough, but you're asking the players, you know, where if the ball goes here, what, what what can happen? Like, you're actually showing them. So, to check for understanding, you're having them show you, whether it be on a tactics board or whether visually out there or, or something small like little markers, and you're talking them through, you know, in these little moments, like, where what can happen here? So, as you've got that ball, what are we looking for? And they're describing to you, ah, oh, well, I can, you know, let's say they're not playing forward enough. There's opportunities to play forward more. They're showing you where that ball can go. And you're like, okay, show me. You know, um, there's other, I mean, there's many, many ways. I, I wouldn't want to be too exhaustive, but just to give an example, I think, you know, to fish off on that first point, yeah, as I, I get the players to speak more. You know, one thing I noticed, whether it was good or bad, um, and I see it a lot. I saw it out in pre-season and there's probably reasons for it, but I see it a lot in general is that it's always the coach giving instruction to the players and often controlling the dialogue of like how when that player receives information, but also talking a lot, they've probably talked the most out of the entire exchange. How can we do it where the players speak more and more importantly, speak last? So if there's anything we can take away, have a think about that as a challenge. You know, even for yourself going into to practices or games this weekend or next week, how can the players speak last? You know, because that's a great way to catch yourself, but also make sure you're giving the players an opportunity to talk and 
to clarify if they've got any questions. You know, what questions may you have in here? Or you can ask very much what, why, how language to the players. Why being a key one? Because now you're getting them to think. So they're not just regurgitating information based on what you've said before, just using certain keywords that you've said. They're actually thinking deeply about what it is that you've said because they've got to come up with an answer. So they're little strategies. Sometimes you might ask a question and the player one-on-one freezes. So you've got to you've got to obviously deal with that. Or even in a small group, they might not know. So you can potentially get somebody else, you know, lean on somebody else. You can cold call somebody or ask somebody, hey, you know, how can you help Yaz here or Joe in this moment? What else could you be thinking about? And, you know, you draw the answers from the room. Um, there's many different ways, really. But there'd be just a few, I would suggest. And the big one being that we're involving them in the process. So, you know, just to summarise one there, can we speak last? And then the last one being, you know, we talk a lot about informing players, but how can we inspire and involve? So really inspire and involve being a key one of, of developing that curiosity. Um, yeah, any 100%. thoughts on that, Yaz? Just we as you're, just as you're talking, I'm, I'm just thinking about a few ideas which I've tried and I'm, which I potentially would try in the future. And one of the ones that's definitely stood out for me is that if I've had that conversation with a player and I've checked their understanding, got the, you know, got the correct perception of what it is that they're, they're seeing and, and how they view it, is actually then getting them to share that with, with some of their teammates in particular. If they've identified, as an example, that they've, you know, they've, they've noticed something in possession, right, can you now share that with the team that's in possession at this point in time and, um, and potentially even share that with the pe- you know, one of the players or, or a few of the players that are out of possession so that they can kind of come up with a solution to make it even more challenging for the players in possession because really what what we're talking about is all pattern recognition isn't it really on behaviours on actions and how that interacts with our perception of what we want to do next with it in terms of the decisions that we want to make I think another really good one for me as well is that is when coaches are looking at again handing over the reins to the players a little bit more you know, I think you, you've talked about it a lot of this about really just involving the players a little bit more and understanding, right, what are their perceptions? How do we get them to understand and, and articulate that for us as coaches? And I think that, that, that piece you talk about, speak last, I think all, it's, it's like that old saying, right? We just, we just need to seek to understand. Be curious. Find out what the players really know. And then, you, you, you know, one thing that I've certainly found in that approach for me is quite often if I'm asking the right questions and... Not leading them, but that, you know, asking questions which I know are going to get them to explore certain areas. Then I quite often don't have to share all the thoughts and all the all the ideas that I had initially because actually they've come up with their own perception of it. And it, especially when it comes to game game day in particular, half times and whatnot, getting their understanding of what they've seen first because now. I think I mentioned this in the past as well. But, you know, quite often I'll observe the game. I'll have a few points that I want to kind of touch on. But actually, if I ask them first and they've already identified it, I don't really need to talk about it anymore. There might be a little bit more clarity needed. There might be some support I can give them in terms of finer details. But actually, they've already sort of, they've already identified it, and it's just it's just really supporting them and understanding. Right? Have they have they started to you know identify possible solutions for it? If there is a problem that they're seeing in front of them. But more specifically, like I said, the, the problem setter piece, I think, is, is massive because I get it from a coach's perspective. Sometimes we don't, you know, it, we're all, we've all got egos. We all want to feel like we ha- we're adding value. We all, all, all want to feel like we're making an impact. But actually, I think the biggest impact is if we can almost leave them to it and just support them on the process where we feel that they might need some stretching and challenging. But most importantly, get their perceptions before we can do that. Then... I think we're in a much better place. You know, the way I've always viewed the role as a coach is essentially get to a point where you become redundant, but they don't actually need you anymore. Um, and then they're sticking around with you because of the relationships and because of the connections you've built, because of the value that you've been, you've been able to add in the build-up to that point where you're at now, if that makes sense. Um, but, you know, there's there's a lot in there. There's a lot, to th- a lot of things to consider, but it'll be really interesting to see if anyone else has got any views on you know, the whole concept of problem setters versus problem solvers and maybe how they've gone about actually, you know, getting to the point where the players are setting problems rather than just solving them. And even if it's not like, you know, identifying effective strategies and how you get players better at actually solving problems in itself. 
just while waiting for someone to jump in, I, I tell you what, Yaz, I love that last piece you've said, and it just made me laugh because um, I remember someone say, saying something to me recently about, um, you know, a jester demands uh, applause. It was something like a little quote, but basically what he was getting at was, um, and he, it's interesting, do coaches coach to, you know, look at me, look at me, look how good a coach I am. I've, I've solved this for him. Look at him, look how organised they are and they tell him the answers. For that ego and that self-praise, when actually, like when you thought out there where the coach is becoming redundant, you know, that's huge. And it's, that's an interesting one for me. Like, what are we doing it for? Are we coaching in creating these environments where it's look at me, look how good I am? Or is it going to be a little bit messy? It might take a hell of a lot longer to get to the end outcome, but it's about the players. So it's not about me. You know, we're actually creating environments for the players and, and for their own joy. So I love it. Tone, good evening, mate. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm good, thanks. Uh, yeah, I just hope everybody's uh, had a great week. Gerard sounds like he's having fun, tying the kids up in the boot of the car now. It's gone a bit quieter. Uh, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be doing that over in the States, mate. Yeah, so just on onto the subject, um, whether it helps or not. My um my kind of take on this in terms of obviously you do want players who can problem solve. Um but I'm I'm looking at it from a different point of view as well. You want coaches who can problem set. So they're, they're kind of two sides of the same coin for me. Um, as far as players go, uh, what I would say is the, the way that I get them to problem solve is by putting them in those game-realistic situations as often as possible. So not drills, not lines, not laps, but putting them in attack versus defence, playing players uh, uh, in their positions in training, so that so that what they experience in training is what they're going to experience in games. Now, the the point that Gerard made earlier on about maybe getting them to interact a little bit. One of the things that, if I stop a practice, generally speaking, now what I will do is ask the players, "Do you know why I've stopped it? Why have I stopped the practice?" Quite often, they they'll get the answer or get somewhere close to the answer. Then once that player who maybe is the one that I stopped the practice for has been affected by question and answer, directed learning, whatever you want to call it, he moves to his new position, for example. I'll then quickly ask the other players that are around him, now how does that affect you? So not only has the, the person where the practice broke down been affected and 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 had a problem to solve or, or couldn't solve it, so you, so you, you steered him in the right direction. But the players around him uh, have also had a little bit of an add-on from it. I completely agree with you, Tony. I think you're bang on. I love the point about the coaches actually being ones as well they've got to be very good at how they solve the problems or, problem, or set the problems shall I say I'm just curious how have you supported coaches in being more skillful in that because you know in your answer there which is bang on about we've got to create these game like experiences for the players we've got to make sure that we're putting them in stuff that looks like their game but equally do the coaches have the knowledge or the understanding you know, it takes time. We're, we're all still learning, but do the coaches know what they're looking for? You know, and then obviously they've got to be able to create those scenarios for the players. I'm curious how you've supported coaching more skillful or better at that. On, yeah, I'm just going to jump on. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, mate. I just realised I asked a question and nobody heard me. <laughs> I was on mute, my bad. No, I was just you want to go first on... or me? Yeah. <laughs> I'll just jump on the back of what Tony was saying and link into what you were saying, really. I think first first thing is obviously um, recognising that. I think that's a great strategy of, you know, getting, stopping the practice and letting the players try and identify or, or, or 
articulate why they think this practice has been stopped. I think one thing that's really important to highlight on that is how many coaches are doing that and actually allowing the players to recognise positive moments and not just the negatives and not just the things that maybe need to be reinforced or corrected in, in some way, shape or form. And I think the second piece, linking into what Gerard said and obviously what you were saying as well, Tern, I think one of the biggest challenges a lot of coaches may or may not have is actually that attack versus defence piece, coaching the game itself, I think it makes it very challenging at times for coaches who maybe aren't that confident or aren't, aren't as um, maybe as experienced or as knowledgeable around what they should be looking for in a, in a live game situation to actually be able to do that. And I think, you know, one of my, one of my tips, of, uh, I guess, for coaches to think about in that respect is how often are you spending actually planning your sessions from back to front rather than from front to back, if that makes sense? Just something to consider and just something to kind of add in there. I don't know what your what your thoughts are on that tone and Gerald, I don't know if you wanted to build on that. Yes. For me, I think that all your training has got a the game itself, the match, if you want to call it a match rather than a game, has got to be at the forefront of your thinking. So even, you know, down to planning certain parts of your warm up might be based around whatever you're thinking. This is why I, I feel that having a syllabus um, on the whole works better than butterfly coaching um, because it, it gives you direction and, and clarity it, and it gives the players direction and clarity. Um, so everything can be focused. If I'm going to do a session, um, for example, where the, there's going to be a lot of defenders moving backwards, how much of that am I going to do in the warm-up? Can I incorporate that in the warm-up? Can I do some one-to-one stuff? Or, uh, sorry, not one-to-one, 1v1 stuff in the warm-up, 2v2 stuff in the warm-up maybe, where players are, are making those game realistic movements that they're going to make once we go into whatever it is, attack v defence, 9v9, 10v10, 11v11. I think it's a really interesting point. So just, just on that though, maybe just share some terms of why you might do that in a warm-up specifically or other than kind of maybe priming them for the session ahead if you like because I think this is a key piece that a lot of coaches maybe don't often incorporate unless they've got a bit of an insight and experiences around how that stuff could potentially benefit the players in actually rather than doing quote-unquote generic warm-ups that might be a few you know a few dynamic movements followed by some possession-based stuff and things like that but actually prepping the players with if you like game-like moments based on where they're playing on the pitch if that makes sense yeah it does uh, for me it's it's kind of triggering or, or even initiating muscle memory in in some aspects where you know if i don't do a lot of backwards jockeying moving my feet left and right i i have a a, a practice for example where if the ball, if if we're doing a one v one and you're coming towards me with the ball on your left foot, my body shape is this way. But if you move the ball to your right foot, I'm still moving backwards, but my body shape has to change. So my front foot um, becomes uh, changes over, uh, and and I always liken it, particularly when I'm doing defending. I relate it to boxing. I talk about boxers being in balance. And, you know, if you're not in balance with one foot forward and you get caught on the chin, that's the time you end up on your backside. So I'm trying to build in those movements uh, in the warm up that they'll then do in the game. So last week, for example, I was doing something on midfield defending, which was going to be a little bit of pressing, a little bit of sliding and screening. But I wanted accelerations and decelerations in the warm-up because we don't tend to focus on deceleration as a as a skill. Uh, but it's really important, I find. And just on that then, Tom, just to expand a little bit more, do you, do you maybe share some insights with the players as to why the warm-up is delivered in that way at all? Or is it just, you know, a perception and, a, I guess, something for them, for them to, for, for you to know and them to find out, if you like? No, I mean, I'll I'll usually introduce the focus at the start of the session, um, before the warm up. Sometimes during the warm ups, tonight we're going to be working on defending, um, so we're going to do a little bit of defending now as part of the warm up, um, and then 
if it's a new group, obviously it's the first time I've done it with them, then I might have to explain it in a bit more detail and this is why I'm doing that. But if I'm doing defending now and my lads are, let's say someone goes to close someone down but doesn't do the deceleration thing, I have this saying, some of you have seen me talk about it before, where it's shut down, slow down, sit down, show down. My, my players now in the two teams that I'm working with know that that is my mantra for defending. So if you don't slow down, you're still running at the same pace when you arrive at the at the attacker with the ball that you set off at. He's, it's really easy for him to skip round you. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's any need for it to be a secret. I think it's it's appropriate to share it with the players. No, definitely. I love the old school um, shut down, slow down, sit down, show down stuff. It takes you back many years. Gerard, go on, mate. Yeah, sorry for early. I was talking and I had it on mute, my bad. Um, no, Tony, I great point earlier, just bringing it back. And he talked about, obviously, the importance of coaches being skillful in, in being able to set the problem as well and just creating these game-like experiences for the players. I'm curious, how have you developed coaches in that and can you give any examples? Because obviously, if we've got, you know, we're always improving our knowledge and growing, but if you don't know what you're looking for, it's going to be difficult perhaps then to create those realistic moments for the players to know what to look for. So how have you created Because obviously a lot of coaches will, will struggle with that themselves, right? And I've even heard it. We were talking about coaches even at the A-licence level where they struggle to look beyond, you know, two or three sort of player actions. It's our principles. is too much for them. So how have you developed coaches, you know, from your experience or any useful tips to get better at knowing what to look for in order to create those realistic problems for the players? I think that this is where two things are really important. Um, having a, if you like, a club identity, these are going to be, these are our non-negotiables. These are the things that we're going to work, um, that we want to see from our teams. Um, so everybody's got that basic yeah, so this is what we're doing, kind of thing. But then this is internal and, well, certainly internal rather than external CPD is really important. So using those foundation lead, YDP lead, PDP lead, if you're lucky enough, you get the first team manager to come in. Um, this is obviously an academy setting now. I don't want to try and make this too elitist. Um, that That we have that kind of, Right, so come in, watch an experienced coach deliver, set the challenges, set the problems. Obviously, don't copy, but then, listen, if, if you go right back to when you passed your level two and, and look at my, um, I'll bet you in, in feedback notes that I gave you when you did your level two course, it says something like, watch matches that don't involve your team as a coach. Don't watch them as a fan don't be a spectator. Uh, I think it's a completely different way of of watching the game, and your players will get better at it. You could what you could. You know, what did I watch? I watched Man City Villa last thing this afternoon. Leeds and Man United earlier on. Uh, you know, if, if I'd have set one of my coaches right, watch the Man City Villa game and give me a bit of an analysis on. Gundogan's midfield play. Just setting little tasks like that. You're going to set them for your players, so why wouldn't you set them for your coaches? 100%. Perfect example. I think as well, just anything that we can do around clarity of the words that we mean. So one thing I've been doing, even within a grassroots setting, I've been saying to coaches, like describing a principle. So let's say it's how we prevent build-up or whether it's remaining compact or protecting the centre of the pitch, whatever it may be. It could be a defensive transition, it could be anything. But then actually having clarity of what do we mean by that. You know, I hear these words like counter-pressing a lot. Well, what's your definition for counter-pressing? Is it the same as mine? And so within a club, I think that clarity around these key words, then within that, um, I would say actually finding a moment, like you say, within a game, but then looking at it through the lens of the player so that we can see, you know, what are some of the things that a player has to see in order to solve this problem? What are the coaches needing to look out for? 
and you go through that sort of discovery. And I think the more coaches, I mean, one thing we did a lot in Morocco, we had two days a week. I mean, it was pretty much every day, but real formal with Osh or with us as a staff, where we went through coaching moments and principles and games. And we just chatted and we'd draw out sessions and we'd pick holes in it. But as a result, we were going through like the checklist of coaching or coaching points or if you like, you know, things that could go wrong within an activity or what could go well, how do you support the players within that? By just going through each other's sessions and thinking about all the what ifs and to me that just accelerated our learning, you know, even more. And we used to do that in particular as a small group on a Wednesday. So perhaps even that's another example that, you know, anyone listening, are you finding time to in your weekly diary to actually go through and look at a problem and discuss it as a group of staff and how would you plan for that? And then what would you do? Given it, so we're doing one on, as an example on Friday. We're getting all our coaches in full and part time, and we're basically going to give them different scenarios for each group. They're going to be split into groups, and uh, the, the, you know they've been given an example within a principle. But then also there's like individual challenges in there as well. So player X struggles with this, but then they really enjoy this. How are you going to factor in for this? And also considering the fun piece. So why they play the sport, what makes playing the sport fun for them. And you've got to factor that in as well within the design of your activity. Then you've got to present it back and then we're all going to obviously share our comments and ideas on each other's plans. And I just think the more we can do around that and similar to what you said, the better, you know, because you're going to get your, you're just going to grow your knowledge. Most definitely, man. I think it's, it's constantly just looking at different ways. We can only support the players, but definitely develop the coaches. And I think, I think this is where I encourage coaches to, you know, and, and everyone in this group, in this in this call right now. I feel like I think it's definitely what I'd like to consider an intentional coach because just by being here, you know, you, it shows that you are, you've got a passion and drive to want to learn and know more about what you're doing. And I think the more more we can start to get coaches to think about that but be more specific about what it is they actually want to try and develop on as well. And I think that's really key. Johnny, good evening, man. How are you? Evening, boys. Yeah, really good. Uh, just a promo for you, boys. If anyone's listening and on the spaces now and you just want to ask questions or you want to get involved, get involved. I've been asking stupid questions for probably nearly a year now and the boys still haven't chucked me. So do get involved. Um, I've missed a little bit of the start, so if I'm saying something that's been said, just ping the hand up and I'll and I'll stop. But just on the, the topic, I found that you need to spend time training in the young lads or the young girls. You have to, I think, train them to become comfortable in the environment, asking questions about you, asking questions of their teammates. I think it's really important that you identify whose session is it and it's always their session. We as coaches might be running it and setting it out and spending ages, you know, planning it. But at the end of the day, it's the player's session. And there's two big questions I always ask on this subject, which is what would you do next time and whose session is it, as I just said. And we get to the point after six, eight weeks where the players know what's coming before I even say it. So I do it. Again, if you said that, I, I don't know. I apologise if I missed it, but I just haven't heard it so far. Make sure the players are comfortable in the environment. And then on that, you need to be consistent in your approach. Body language, tone, everything else that comes along with that. Make sure you're consistent when you're trying to get youngsters to solve problems because they're going to be nervous and they're going to be under pressure. And <clears throat> it's important not to forget decision-making under pressure changes. So when the players are calm and okay, they can take in five, six, seven, eight bits of information. But when they're under pressure in a training session or in a game, that drops to potentially one, two, three. So if you're asking players to solve problems in a stressful environment, also be careful um, with what you're saying. And that's kind of my thoughts on it. Um, I'd love to throw a question once you have come in. That'd be great. Yeah, Johnny, just before you do that, I think... Yeah, I was... Go on, go on, Joe. Oh, go ahead, Jazz. Yeah, no, I was just... All right, I was going to say... <laughs> to me, to you, go on, go ahead. 
Yeah, no, I was just going to say, Jonathan, there's some great points in there. And I think first and foremost, that, that, that setting the environment piece is so key because I'm, I'm massive on asking players questions and having those conversations with players. And I think early on, in a lot of environments, because of the where they've come from, when they come to me, it's almost like they they see that as almost a threat sometimes, and it, as a they can be sometimes fearful of what that process then entails because they might feel like you're catching them out. And so, I think it's really important that we make them feel comfortable in, in answering those questions with no without a fear of judgment in, in in the first instance. I think secondly, the other the other thing that jumped out for me as as you were speaking, it just reminded me of. Is sometimes we might have a situation where a player is um, struggling to deal with a problem, but actually, even though there could be detrimental impact on it in terms of the result of a game or the outcome in terms of the, the solution that they've identified, it's sometimes just giving them that bit of praise and encouragement to actually know if you if if that's a, if that's a solution that you definitely want to try and you want to keep trying it. That's fine, but we can, you know, as a coach, support them in unpacking how better to maybe deal with that problem. But also, again, coming back to what we said a few, a few uh, you know, a few times at the start, really getting their perception as to why they're dealing with things in the way they're dealing with them. But obviously, recognizing what they've understood and what they've identified in order to be able to get to the point where they're actually now saying, "Well, actually, this is the problem I see, and I'm really keen on getting getting through that problem rather than." diverting to another solution that's going to take me elsewhere if that makes sense I don't know if it does but hopefully that kind of just adds adds some adds some value to what what you said there as well now Gerard you feel free to jump in man no good all I was going to say was Johnny I, I love the point around behaviour I'm posing a question to the group it can be answered or it could be a reflective question is that how can we ensure that the behaviour we, we elicit or demonstrate during practice is correlated with a game day. Now, I know obviously there's times where because of the, the, the match is different and it is where we're trying to score more goals than the opponent and there'll be emotional moments, right? But the, the point I'm getting to, because yes, it, it's good to be your authentic self and recognise their authentic self in certain situations and that can add value. But at the same time, I see a lot of coaches where they'll encourage a lot of expression. They'll, they'll create these problems to solve. They're quite happy with players making mistakes in practice. But then when they come to a game, it's like, whoa, 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 not in those areas. No, 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 not there. No, no, we're not doing that, you know, because the, the score changes. And it's like, no, we're doing this now. And to me, that's where the, the confusion lies because we're saying to the players in training, it's okay, but then on a game day, no, it's not. Uh, that's what I meant. But anyway, you know, I thought it was a great point and just something I wanted to pose out there to the world, which was, you know, how important is it that that behaviour is consistent? Because to me, it's very important, and I think that the, the match day behaviour has got to be really similar to whatever we're encouraging in our practice. Has got to reinforce what we're expecting in a game, and vice versa. But obviously, do we do that well enough? Because I think we're we're if we're honest with ourselves, or a lot of people, if they're honest, they'll probably recognise that in a game, they probably don't. And they're more bothered about the result. And they'll probably discourage certain things that they would have encouraged on the Tuesday. So why is it OK on the Tuesday? You know, just throwing it out there. Yeah, I've got a couple of points there. Firstly, on, on Johnny's point, uh, about the environment obviously the environment is absolutely key and if you've got for example if you tend to be a a, a Q&A type coach who every time you stop the practice you decide that you're going to ask a question you've got to know that the person that you're asking the question to is one of the group that's likely to answer it because otherwise you become a problem setter. You don't become a problem solver. You don't help them to become a problem solver. So you have got to know your players. Um, I picked up the under 13 group that I've got alongside my under 15s partway through the season. Um, so it took me a little while before I knew which players are going to respond and which players aren't going to respond if I involve them in the problem solving. Um, 
you then get one or two players who know the answer because you can see that they're football bright, but don't want to speak out because they don't feel that they're one of the you know top five percent in the squad. Um, and and you can really help them out. What was that, Alex? Just say that again a bit louder because you're absolutely right. All of a sudden, you've solved the problem and you've lifted the kid. Um, so I think that that's absolutely vital that, that you know your players and, and you're able to manage the session that way. Um, there was something that Gerard said that I've forgotten now. Um, but I, 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 that environment thing is absolutely bob on, whether it's... You know, my players know that, and I know for a fact that I've changed. I used to be very much stop, stand still. If you don't do this, right, I want this sorting out now. How are we going to do it? Um, but I've become much more relaxed, probably now that I'm out of the pro club environment in terms of my coaching style. So I'm much more open to using other methods, which are sometimes a little bit time consuming, but ultimately involve the players a little bit more you know Q&A and guided discovery are all well and good if they don't take 15-20 minutes out of my session because it isn't my session I'm running it but it's their session Tony I think some no bang on absolutely bang on no I was just going to say Tony I think some great points there because it's interesting that you say, obviously, you know, you, you've uh, adapted your approach now that you're not in a pro club environment. But I think there's something really important to highlight here, and it's that there's no one right way to do it. And if for us as coaches, it's just recognising what approach is needed and when is it needed and who is it needed for. And I think even coming back to your Q&A thing, yes, it can be quite long-winded at times, but I think this is where we need to be a bit more specific and clear in terms of as an example, something that I look to do is if I know that my outcomes are A, B and C, I'm going to be saying, right, OK, what's the potential technical information or tactical information that might relate to my A, B and C? And then to unpack that further and give me, I guess, another resource to use within my coach. And I then say to myself, well, what are what are one or two questions that I might use to tease some of that information out from the players directly rather than me offloading it? And just good practice for me has been design two or three variations of each of those questions as well because some players will land, some questions will land better with some players than they do others and vice versa so i think that that's that's something that's worked really well for me but it's really you know really to highlight the point that like i said there's no one way that's right to do it but coaching is done right when the message lands when it has the intended impact regardless of how it's done now yes this might be some ways that might be more effective than others but that's where the coach and the relationships built with the players start to dictate what that approach and uh, methodology should be in that moment. Just wanted to add that in there. But Johnny, I'm conscious you said you had a question as well. I don't know. I don't know if you've got to ask it though. Well, it was, it was somewhat on Gerard's point in that the first thing I wrote down when I sat down was uh, in-game versus training differences. And, I, and I, again, Gerard's kind of touched on it, so he, he somewhat has already got to it. But, um, yeah, if I could ask about, you know, if you're different, because I think you should be slightly different, not in terms of manner or tone, but I just think in terms of the game, there's times when you just have to tell them what to do. And it's simply along the lines of thinking takes too long. <clears throat> so if you, if you ask some, someone a question that's playing in the chaos of the game, Thinking takes too long. The whole point of training is for things to become automatic and then they, they should just react to what they see. So I'd, I'd love to just get your, your input on that, please, as the hands fly up of what's coming. I can't wait. So Johnny's, Johnny's question there reminded me of what Gerard said that I was going um, to pick up when I spoke last. Um, it's this difference between... Um, if you like, Tuesday night, Thursday night and Saturday morning when the game's played. So if if you don't want your players playing square across the back and they do it in training, then pick them up for it. Because that way, when you pick them up for it or you criticise it on a Saturday, they're going to know, oh yeah, you don't like us doing that. 
You know, if they if they're getting on the ball and doing Maradona spins in the middle of the pitch when there's no players within five yards of them in training, they're going to do it in games. So you you know, in terms of if you're going to ingrain the game, then you need to ingrain the habits. So if you don't mind your team playing square across the back on the six yard line, that's up to you. I don't want my team doing that. Yeah, and the, the other thing I was going to add onto that, agree with everything there, because it, we used to see this all the time where coaches are allowing bad habits in the practice, but they're not correcting it. Completely agree. Um, I was just going to say, I think there's times when you can be direct, for sure, Johnny. My question then is, it's recognising the moments when you give information. So how much of the coaching is on ball versus off ball? Because often a lot of coaches are direct and they tell the player what to do, but they're on the ball. So for me, you know, I shouldn't be telling a player what to do on the ball. Like, play forward quickly, play forward quickly. Because I'm basically making that decision for them. And I've seen it, we may have all done it. You know, and, and sometimes it's backfired. I saw one the other day where they weren't playing the quick free kick as quick as the coach wanted. And the coach has basically not only hustled them to play quickly, he's actually just said, give the ball to Johnny. Just give the ball to Johnny now. But as that player's given the ball to Johnny, they've lost the ball, and they end up in a goal. And maybe there could have been something else. What? Were, and then I just said, for the sake of the the extra few seconds that it took for that player to to think, you know, going off your point, it's a thinking game. You know, we're assuming that they're they're you know not making a decision or whatever it may be, but they are. It's just the speed of thought to go from thought to action, isn't it? That 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 execution, that muscle to action, it, it, it takes time. And for others, they're still probably pro- processing stuff, but it's taking a bit longer. Because they might see something where they think, I'm not sure about the chance of me playing that pass here versus here. And if I do, the speed, how quickly am I going to get it? Am I going to get there quick enough? And they're processing all that, aren't they, in the heads, as we've all said. So it's interesting. So for me, yes, there's a place to give direct instruction at times. It can't all be... Uh, guided and exploration, but if it is, where, you know, versus on ball, can it be off ball? You know, and if we lead with an answer, can we lead with an even better question after? So versus just giving them an answer and, t- and then they don't understand the why. How I'll typically do it is, it sometimes I might have to just tell them, as we all have, and you just tell them exactly what you want. But you've got to, for me, we have to. I think you've got to lead with that why, as you know, because it's no good saying, you know, in this moment I want you to peel off here or. No, you need to be here. You're going wide. You're going to go here. That creates a space for this. But do they understand why? Have they understood what to look for in order to recognise the trigger and when to make that movement to do... You know, they don't know the why. They're doing it because the coach has told them to do it. So I'd, I'd then lead with an even better question of, you know, why Why is that helpful? What, what did you notice differently? Like What happened when you made that run compared to the one before? How was that easier for you? Or whatever it may be. Um, that's where I would typically say it. I'm, I'm curious what everyone's thoughts are on that. But just going off the when to, when not to, for me, I want to avoid giving instruction to the player on the ball. How much off the ball coaching can we give? And it's, and then it's how can we lead with a question after? As a summary. Yeah, I think, I think it's a really good point there, Gerard. And I think just one thing that kind of jumps out at me as, as you and Tony were going through that is... Um, whatever that is that we're, we're, we're trying to work on, let's, 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 let's just focus on one outcome. No, I think as coaches, sometimes we can be in danger of we see that this one player's had this interaction or this action or that action and this action, and there's three or four different things that we can kind of pinpoint and look to support around. I think whatever it is that we're going to look to intervene on with a player, let's stick to that one thing. Let's get over that. And then even if we see something else, <clears throat> let's just park it, overcome the first thing, and then and then and then move on to the next one when, when it eventually comes. But also just to link into your question, Johnny's, I think a great opportunity to use some direct instruction is when you know you've definitely covered it with the player before. Because at some point, you're going, to have, you're going to have situations where you might have had plenty of Q&A, plenty of guided discovery, or whatever else approach that you're going to take with that player, both in-game and away from the game. And there's probably a somewhat level of context already been built up around that specific outcome or that, that, that key area that you're looking at, at which point I think then gives you a bit more um, 
credit, if you like, in the bank to go straight to the direct approach. That might be a bit more impactful just in terms of reinforcing or reminding a player of something that you guys have already covered in the past, if that makes sense. And it then links back in perfectly to what Gerald was saying earlier about one of the key takeaways he's taken from spending time with uh, some of the, some of the senior pros in the club that he's at. Is that it's never it's, it's never you're never too far into your journey to cover the basics. So I know obviously a lot of us here are going to be working with players outside of the professional game, um, but it just goes to highlight that actually sometimes it's just worth reinforcing key messages which have already been covered, even if you think it's something that the players should already know. And again, I think I think I think for me that's probably where I'd I'd lean on a bit more of a direct approach around what it is I want from the player, not specifically on those moments, but I think it, there's definitely scope for it there. Hopefully that helps. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I love it. I love it. Don't worry, Jared. We'll have those shouts. My personal favorite shouting time. I just I can't stop it. Even though you tell yourself to do it, I'm still shouting time. Um, yeah, I just think it's important to remember they see a different picture to what you do. And um, in an answer my own question is that I'll always make sure at half time or, or we play we we played should I say past tense three thirds so at the end of the period or at least in the next training session I always like to talk to the lads or or the girls you're coaching on whichever you've done if you've been a bit direct just so you can understand what what they're thinking and and feeling but no cheers for that boy just just on that as well you know you talk there about the use of the word time I think um, one of the things we definitely could be considerate of as well as coaches is that their perception of, I'll use time as an example, their perception of you've got time might be very different to what we observe. They might not believe they have time in that moment, um, whether that's because they haven't taken into consideration all the things that are around them, whether that's because they've identified something that we haven't yet picked up on or vice versa. I think it's really important that we understand that actually their perception of the, the words and the terminology and the phrases that we may use with them could also be very different. And I think it's really important that we understand that if I, again, use that example of time, if we do believe they've got time on the ball, then it, that, that's probably where an intervention need, is needed because it's almost like, well, from the side, I, saw, I observed X, Y, Z. What were you thinking as that was going on? Because I felt you had a lot of time in there, but you know, what, what were your thoughts? Did you feel like you had time in there? Do you, you know, if you didn't feel like you had enough time in there, why do you think that was? What do you think it impacted on that? And I think it's just, again, one of the big things I'm a massive one is that helping the players become attuned to the variables which can impact on their behaviours, actions, and performance. And I, it's just, you know, just it just got me thinking as you said that there. I don't know, Tony, if you got anything else you want to add, or Johnny, if that means anything to you. Um, or even Jared, if you want to lay, layer anything on top. Yeah, do you know what? It's one of the things I've spent a lot of time doing since I came out of academy football is is trying to make sure that my uh, my dialogue's the same as theirs to the point where I use if a if a player's going to get the ball and he's not really scanned, for example, I look at things like I've tried to teach him the difference between man on, man coming, and time. In terms of, if I tell a play, if I play a ball to a, a player and he's got his back to the game, so he doesn't know what's around him and he doesn't scan, I try to teach him that time means they've got time to have a look. And there's a difference between man on and man coming, and the difference between those two things determines what your next game action can be. So man coming, if you're quick, you scan and you turn or get on the half turn as you receive the ball, might mean the difference between playing forward past a player who hasn't slowed down his defensive run and just playing it back the way that it came. So you do have to educate your players around vocabulary and it's a wide-ranging thing, but if you've got the same vocabulary throughout the club um, and, for example, players can play up or down, then everybody knows that there's a difference between man on and man coming. Certainly with the younger age groups, I find they, they'll shout man on far too early, for example, and it'll either result in the ball getting played backwards or it'll result in panic uh, where, where we just... It's like when the keepers shout away, when actually the, the centre-back hasn't got a centre-forward near him, could bring it down on his chest and play out quite comfortably. So, yeah, just little bits like that.
I love that. I think that's probably a good point to, to end on, really, is that the clarity around our coaching language and do we have clarity right across the club, across all phases, so that that journey for the player as they go through those different coaches and, of course, they're going to hear certain uh, slang or jargon or whatever, but realistically, we want to make sure that the key words that are being used are consistent throughout that journey. And as you said, they know what, they know what you mean. Uh, and even planning for the words that we're going to use in particular sessions. Now that links to that journey, that golden thread as they go through each age group. I think it's a great one to, to end on because, again, comes back to the earlier points, doesn't it, around checking for understanding. If we're using terms but we're making that assumption that they know what we mean or vice versa, you know, it's we're in a danger of missing opportunities. So really, I think this is really good. I don't know if there's anything from your end, Jazz. No, I think I think you said it all there, mate. I think it's a great point to end on, and I think it's just you know for me the biggest message to take out from this is how much work are we doing as coaches to get get real insight on the perceptions of our players, whether that be from their observations of what's happening on on and off the pitch, but also even just that final point there around their language and their understanding, and the I guess the the mutual understanding of what the terms mean within that environment, whether that is them leading on some of the some of the words that they want to bring into it or whether that's us as an environment as an organization or a club um, setting a structure of terminology that they that they're going to be then pushed to kind of develop and understand and learn more about so I think that's probably you know I'll, I'll, I'll sum it up with that really um, but again massive thank you for everyone that's been involved tonight especially yourself Tone and John obviously you guys are always uh, always getting involved which is which is brilliant but guys you know don't, don't, don't don't miss the opportunity to obviously get involved in some of these conversations because I think there's some great stuff. It's not just us in as much as we're hosting the conversations. It's not just ourselves that have got all the experience and all the ex- insights and experiences along this thing that we call coaching. So, you know, I'll definitely encourage people to you know make sure you're following us, be involved in our conversations in the future. We're here every Sunday, myself and George hosting the conversations. Um, and you guys are always welcome. Like We want to continue growing this community and building up everything that we're doing. Um, and if you haven't caught the whole conversation, you can catch it uh, on the Coaches Network podcast. So we record on a Sunday, release on a Wednesday. And on top of that, guys, you know, I've got um, a recently launched uh, announcement around a coach development group. So if you're interested in finding out more about that, please do get in touch. Gerard, over to you, man. Yeah, thanks for the amazing discussion. I think it's been great. And, you know, similar, we're doing a lot. We're going to have some cool webinars that we're going to do between us as well. And, you know, we've got the ULEV app, so if anyone wants to check out more, feel free to check that out. And equally, you know, follow myself, Yaz, or Tony, or, or any of the guys on the call, because um, we're all in the game together. So I think the more that we can share, you know, ideas or opinions, whatever it may be, you know, I think it just elevates the games, doesn't it? It leaves it in a better place. So, you know, if anyone wants to reach out, feel free to reach out. Um, we haven't all got the answers, but I think between us, we can probably do a good job of um, improving some really cool environments for players. So, thank you to everyone, you know, for being a part of this community. If you like, definitely. Take care, guys. Have a great evening, and I hopefully be back next week with you. Take care. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.